0: When I was a kid, I was aware of when beings were around or spirits or whatever okay. you want to use. Yeah. For a few years before I went to Iraq, I was doing psychic readings for people. Okay. And Ever since I was a kid, I was very interested in psi, P-S-I, kinds of metaphysical kinds of things and ancient, sort of the old wisdom traditions and things like that, yeah.
1: You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life.
0: Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else?
1: I'm so excited to have Natalie Sudman on the show today. I read her fascinating book, and just was blown away, really blown away. Let me tell you a little bit about Natalie. Natalie Sudman is an author, artist, and psychic intuitive. She worked as an archeologist in the Great Basin States for 16 years before accepting a position managing construction contracts in Iraq. In 2007, Natalie was injured by a roadside bomb. During this incident, she had the most incredible near-death experience that she talks about in detail in her amazing book, application of impossible things. After recovering from her injuries, Natalie retired from government service and now concentrates on her art and writing, both long-term passions. Raised in Minnesota, Natalie has lived most of her adult life in eastern Oregon, Montana and South Dakota. She now lives in Arizona.
0: Good morning, Natalie. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. How are you? thank you for having me on the show
1: so great to have you on the show your book the applications of of impossible things reads like an encyclopedia of the environment of the afterlife I suspect I could read it a thousand times and still be gaining more awareness each time I read it it really is an amazing book it's um I love near-death experiences and I've researched a lot of them and I think your book is one of the most comprehensive books on the subject I've ever read Oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Let's start. We'll tell people
0: what, what happened. So, you were working in Iraq. I was working in Iraq as a project manager and or construction representative with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So, I was not military; I was a civilian military, and I had been there about a year and a half. I was out in the field with some colleagues and improvised explosive device detonated under our truck and it severely injured three of us and killed the guard who was sitting in front of me and at the moment of that explosion I left my body and had a out of body or a near-death experience. Mm.
1: You say in the book when you left your body because a lot of people talk about the moment they leave their body that you had the awareness of feeling tired and couldn't wait to get home one minute in the body the next minute out of the body but unlike other near-death experiences you didn't seem to have any sort of confusion about where you were you seemed to be you seem to be right on it girl <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> yeah I, I i knew exactly where i was in one moment i was in the truck and the next moment i was not And so there was none of, you know, people talk about, oh, hovering above their body in a tunnel and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't, I didn't experience any of that. I was in the truck and then in a blink, I was not, I was in a different environment and I knew exactly where I was and I knew exactly what I was doing. Why do you
1: think that you
0: knew that as opposed to other people? Was
1: there a reason?
0: I don't really know. Um, I think that It may just be that I think that everybody has a different kind of experience. And I think that um, in a lot of ways, it's very difficult to find words to talk about these experiences and to find to kind of crush them into a linear story to tell people. And so uh, maybe somebody hears somebody say, oh, yeah, well, you know, I was aware here and I kind of felt like I was in a tunnel. and. So people go, oh, you know, that kind of makes sense for me, you know, and, and there's kind of this melding of the conscious mind, trying to, trying to make sense of it and trying to put it into a context that that conscious mind can understand and make sense of, and, you know, Being in some way at least conceptually true to the experience. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is that we're all different. We all have different, we all come here with different knowledge and different experiences. We all, as whole beings, have different knowledge and different experiences and make different choices on how we're going to, how we want to create and maintain and shape this adventure of this personality in this body and so i think that for me um, ever since i was a kid it's been very easy for me to take my consciousness somewhere else
1: okay
0: you know if, if i don't want to be somewhere i just in my consciousness, I focus somewhere else, and I understand myself as being in that other place. You know, my body is still here, and it's still functioning, and I'm even saying the right things sometimes, but I'm not really focused here. And so maybe one of my skills is remembering who I am and being able to make that kind of a focus shift really quickly. And easily, I don't really know. I yeah. bet there's other people who have had experiences like mine. Yeah, I bet there is. Yeah, yeah. Just um, maybe they're not talking about it or something.
1: So before you had the experience in Iraq with the bomb and the near-death experience, did, did you have a, a spiritual life? Um, did you have knowledge? Did you have awareness of, of who you were besides your body and your personality?
0: Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah, I did. Um, since I was a kid, when I was a kid, I was aware of when beings were around or spirits or whatever you want to use. Okay, yeah. And for a few years before I went to Iraq, I was doing psychic readings for people. and Okay. And I had done a lot. Ever since I was a kid, I was very interested in psi, PSI, kinds of metaphysical kinds of things. and ancient sort of the old wisdom traditions and things like that yeah yeah so i did interest before that happened
1: oh okay all right cuz that was one of the questions i thought of cuz it it just seemed you seem to be so on it, as I said, so aware as soon as you left your body, like not, oh, I must be dead, where am I? That um, that you had some sort of awareness before this happened. It seemed like an interesting choice though with that kind of awareness to put yourself in an environment like Iraq. Was there a conscious reasoning to that or was it
0: just an impulse? Consciously, I've always been drawn to intense sorts of I'll call them microcosms, like in archaeology. I did archaeology for many years, and that's similar. You work with a small team, and you're aim. You're all aimed at the same thing. You know, you're all kind of. You're doing one job together, so you're a t- kind of a tight team, and it's kind of an unusual thing to be doing, and I really like that. I like that intensity and. Um, I like working with a group kind of all aimed in one direction. And I'm fascinated by all the microcosms that make up the macrocosm of this reality. Yeah. When you think about it, we're all living in our own reality. Yeah. That's just fascinating to me. It's like, whoa, how can we function? You know, we're we're all in our own little reality and we all overlap in different ways. And how do we all stop at this? How do we all agree to stop at a red light? <laughs> Look, it's it's yeah? so interesting
1: that you say that because years ago when I started my intense journey for meaning, I, I read the Seth books. Yes. Actually, one of the Seth books jumped off a bookshelf and, and landed like, you need to read me. and he said in those books i remember he said that we are all communicating telepathically all the time
0: yes we
1: are being aware of it or not aware of it most of us are not aware of it he said think of how you drive you could not drive on your roads if you weren't communicating telepathically it would be impossible you know and I thought about driving and I thought there are times when you just know what the person in front of you is going to do I mean what is that you know what I mean for those people who think that they're not communicating telepathically all the time that's an example of you're at the lights and you look at someone because you know they're looking at you you know there's this there's examples of how it's happening all the time but yeah the road is
0: we have a lot of different words for that too you know, not everybody calls that psychic. Some people say I just I just have a gut feeling. I just follow yeah. my gut. That's yeah. fine. That's the same thing. Yeah. But it's a different language for it. And a language that is kind of a little bit more acceptable to a lot of people. And you know, that's cool. It's still the same thing. Yeah. You're using that you're using that psychic ability.
1: Oh look, I I really believe that our psychic ability is our strongest sense. Yes. But we get so we get so distracted by all the other senses, which are delicious, taste, touch, smell, sight. Mm. I mean, they're so delicious that we get distracted by those and we don't listen to our strongest sense, which is happening, as the Seth said in his books, all the time, all the time. Yeah. One of the things I love about the message in your book, which is very much the message I'm bringing with my teachings, is about how we are the creators of our own reality. As you said, we're all living our own perception we're all in a similar environment but we've all got different stories going on in our head so we're all perceiving we're all having different experiences because we're all perceiving differently yeah. and uh, three people could watch a movie and have completely different experiences of the same thing of the same movie and the message comes through in yeah. your book and and also I you know I tell people go read it because I can't even hope to explain most of it because I have to say a lot of it I didn't understand but at the same time all the information was completely familiar to me Mm -hmm. although I didn't really it didn't sort of comprehend on a conscious level a lot of what you were saying
0: yeah I think a lot of that comprehension happens at an intuitive level at a psychic level it's like oh that that just feels right or or I mean in a way you're remembering you're not learning something new you're remembering and it may not make sense to the to the logical conscious mind i had i have had that happen with some books and i think wow i should maybe read that again <laughs> then i realize i don't really need to because i did get the information it just it wasn't necessarily the way i take in some other information yeah yeah i got it but i just didn't understand
1: it but i got it <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's all all learning is remembering, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, all lessons are reminding, just rewiring our minds. You talk a lot about the non-physical environment and you identify many different spaces that happen there. When you're in the blink environment, do you want to tell people, you know, just describe what happened to you when you found yourself out of your body? in that blink environment. Sure,
0: I was, um, I found myself standing on a sort of stage with thousands of beings arrayed all around me, like as if I were in a stadium. I was downloading information to these beings. It was like I was transferring it from my mind or my awareness to their awareness. And they were accepting that. And when I had finished, then I said, I told them, I communicated to them that I wasn't going to go back into my body, that I was tired, I was not that interested in going back. And they accepted that. It was, there was no like, these people are in some authority over me, or there wasn't any ordering anybody around. (laughs) It was like these were all my equals. Yeah. They were all my partners, they were my friends, were my colleagues, whatever you want to call it. And so, um, and we were each responsible for ourselves. And for you know, and we were working together cooperatively on some things, and so when I communicated this, they all kind of took it in and said, "Okay, that's great." They also said, well, "We would really appreciate it if you would go back because we would we think you're really good at this, and we would like this and this done, and and we think that you would do a really good job at it. Would you be interested?" And I, I kind but, of went. Sure. So they had an agenda. Well, I would say. Um, They had some things that they were interested in exploring. Okay. And if I would have said no, they would have found somebody else who would have been able to help them or who would have agreed to help them. It's not like they had to have me doing it. Okay. And it's, yeah, it wasn't like they they were trying to coerce me into anything or, you know, they had some interests that they wanted explored. And so they asked me if I would like to cooperate with them.
1: Yeah. And then you agreed. Look, I'm fascinated about what they wanted to explore because when we think about our free will that we we all have, we are the creators of our own reality and we're creating it through what we choose to think about and we have complete freedom in that. We have complete freedom in what we create and that happens both physically and non-physically. So these beings, what would you call
0: them? Were they like family, soul, group, how? What was your relationship to them? Well, that kind of depends on what my perspective is, right? You know, right. I think that um, if I look at them now, and I, I do go back and visit that environment, and I do interact with them, yeah, and it feels like they are friends, yeah, they're friends and colleagues. Um, that would be the equivalent. But I can also, I have gone out, sort—I call it going out—gone out so far to a place where everything is one. And when I'm there, then I just understand those other beings as other aspects of me.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah.
0: So soul group that would work, you know, friends, colleagues, sure. That all works. Whatever kind of depends on, on the perspective, but also on my perspective, my choice of perspective, I would say, depends on what serves me best right now. Yeah, You know, I can change my perspective anytime. Any of us can't. It matters because of where we are in this moment, where we are in our adventure at this moment. Maybe this perspective serves me better than that one does.
1: Absolutely. Well said, brilliantly said. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still fascinated as to what what they wanted to discover. When they said to you, because um, you don't even talk about this in the book, so maybe I'm prying, but, you know, what was it that they wanted you to experience, that they wanted to
0: see, to discover, to experience themselves? Yeah, you know, I don't remember some of it. Okay. I only remember a little bit of it. Uh-huh. And I know that writing this book was part of it. Right. But, um, okay. But I don't, I'm very deliberately didn't talk about that in the book because it's mine. Okay. Because It's it's my It's my adventure. It's my trajectory. And in our human experiences, we're conditioned to think, and it's very hard not to think in terms of hierarchies. Yes. And so if I say, well, I came back to do this, then people immediately put that in a hierarchy. They say, oh, she's very holy. Or, (laughs) oh, she's not very important. I'm doing something much more important than that. Yeah. And really, there is no comparison at all. I'm doing this, and it's important to me, and it's important to the people that I'm working with on the other side. But whatever you're doing is also important. Yeah, <laughs> It's not more important or less important. It's It's important. That's actually one of the strong messages in the book, is that
1: every single experience, no matter what, good or bad, how we deem it from our perspective, from a physical perspective, is as important as any other experience that as you say there is no hierarchy but then when we hear people we start to compare oh you're better than me you're more holy than me you're more enlightened than me you're more intelligent than me yeah
0: Yeah, that's what our mind does right so yeah and um, i really didn't want to um i wanted to completely avoid that in the book you know mm -hmm. and the way i did that is not talking about what my adventure is all about in a way it shouldn't matter to anybody each of you should be saying, well, I wonder what my adventure is, or I find out what my adventure is. Yeah, We all can, we all know that. We all know that somewhere inside ourselves. So it's just remembering. Well, I think we do all know that but getting clarity
1: on that is something that a lot of people struggle with. I've struggled with it. Like I've had a knowing ever since I came into and dreams and th- but not a lot of clarity. I think mm-hmm. reading your book and seeing how much clarity you have on your intentions in this lifetime, let me say, um, I won't say mission, I don't really like the word mission, but sure. that seems that seems delicious, you know, to sort of really like, I know
0: why I'm here, and I know what I'm here to do, and, I, and, I, and I've got real clarity on that. Well, the book may make it sound that way, but like I said, I don't remember all the things that I agreed to do. Right. And so, in some ways, I'm also in the dark. And the way I think about that is that, if you sit down to play a game, say you sit down to play Monopoly. Yeah, yeah. And what if you already know everything that's going to happen in the game, all the way to the end? Yeah, yeah. Well, then is the game still fun to play? Exactly- no, you you sit down and you go, okay, well this is this is going to happen and you're going to win. Okay, we're done. <laughs> and you get the that's true. Away. That's well, true. Well, the point of playing the game is to play the game. Yeah. And so when we come into this body, you know, there's an equivalent there. We don't need to come in here knowing everything that's going to happen to us. Part of the fun is not knowing. Part of the fun is being in the moment and going moment to moment and riding that ride, playing that game, and having fun doing it. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, like you don't want to know the end of a movie. You want to go and yeah. experience the movie. Like, don't don't yeah, tell me I'm what happens. Don't tell me. But when I read the book, I was revisiting it yesterday. You, you actually, when you were talking to your um, mob, your friends, your colleagues, I call my mob the mob, and I then like that. and then and then I sort of gave them a bit more of a nice name. I called them blissful beings because bliss seemed to be something that was very present in as a word that I had. Blissful beings, but you actually asked them to have a sense of remembering when you came back, you said, okay, if I'm going to go back, here's some conditions. I got me some conditions.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I kind of made a joke about it and in in the book and said, yeah, kind of conditions, but really it was kind of asking them as a favor. You know, it was the same way that they asked me to help them with this, whatever, these things. I then asked them, okay, you know, will you help me with these things? And it wasn't even like a barter Mm. or a bargain. It was more like they asked me for some things and I said yes. And then I thought, oh, I could ask them for some things, I'll ask them for some things and they can either say yes or no. And they said yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Cause, because so
1: you're because this is what I'm thinking so your near-death experience happened in a blink you call it the blink so one minute you're in the body the next minute you're back in the body and the time that had that had gone past on earth was like seconds wasn't yeah. it
0: yes it was it, just seconds mm-hmm.
1: seconds so your experience was something's happening like bang and then the next thing like there was sort of like no break in your physical experience except for you had this amazing experience in non-physical. I think we've all had it when we fall asleep. We could fall asleep for a minute on the bus or in class or hopefully not behind the wheel of a car and then wake up and you've had this amazing dream but you've actually literally been asleep for a second. Yes. Yeah. So there's this time because there's no such thing as time from that perspective.
0: Right. Did,
1: you, did, did they explain how time works?
0: While you no, were I, no, I didn't even ask. I wasn't even interested. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, a lot of questions that my physical mind, physical body, personality mind might be curious about, once I'm out of the body, those things have no interest for me. They're just not even relevant. I don't have any curiosity about them at all. You know, now I can look at that and I can see that um, – time isn't what we think it is for one thing I mean it's there's no time and there's the time we know but there's there's a lot of ways to experience time and space it's a construct that in a sense is worked into the fabric of the structure of this particular environment that we can come to and play in um, this this particular earth physical environment and um it serves here you know Uh, and there are other realities that have different you can experience sort of different aspects of time or or time in a similar way but a little bit different or time in a very different way but it's almost like when i look at it it's almost like this um field and you can participate it in the edges of the field, or right in the middle of the field, or anywhere—you know—a lot of different places in the field, and and it's never going to be quite the same experience. I don't. It's very difficult to explain time space. I think. Yeah,
1: yeah, it is. From from our perspective, it's difficult, but um, when you have that non physical experience, it seems yeah. like the obvious. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> but not so dirt obvious from this perspective because we're so enmeshed in this perspective and the yeah. time space reality.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and we have uh, our language is limited. You know, we don't necessarily have the concepts and the the words that would make that understanding easy for us. Maybe if a physicist. <laughs> Had a near death experience and came back, maybe he would be able to he or she would be able to (laughs) describe that a little better. I can't I I... Well that
1: that'll be on the cards. But what I thought was so you had this experience in a blink in a blink here, but the book is so comprehensive and so in depth. As you were writing the book, did you just have downloads of the memory of it? Or did you just have full memory? Like you said that you didn't remember everything. But what is in the book is so, as I say, comprehensive.
0: Yeah, what I did was I had a, I would say, an instantaneous whole whole memory. Right. And then I, it was like it was almost too much. And so I slowed everything down and went back into the experience as if I were experiencing it again.
1: Right.
0: And if you um I think that a lot of people who are psychic might understand when you're doing maybe a psychic reading or something, you get an instantaneous flash of information and you can go into that information and, um, and sort of unpack it and unravel it and go deeper into it. Or you can, um, take just the surface of it and, and let it go and then wait for the next flash of information. And in this case, I got the whole memory and I was like, whoa! Mm -hmm. And then I was able to slow it down, go into it, and really um, take my time noticing things. It's almost like balancing between the physical and the non-physical in order to translate it into words that would, and concepts, that would make sense to the physical mind.
1: When did you have the whole memory? Because I would imagine that when you were in the blast and you woke up and your body is sort of not looking very happy, like you you had a hole in your head and your, and your wrist, your right wrist was, like your hand was practically severed, wasn't it?
0: And you had a big hole in your side as well. Like you're in a bomb blast. Yeah, I did, I had, um... A broken heel. I had shrap. There was still shrapnel in my heel. I had the two, um, the ulna and radius, the two forearm bones were shattered, and all the all the bones on the right side of my face were broken. And I couldn't see out of my right eye. And I had shrapnel everywhere, little tiny pieces of shrapnel. So blood all over. But yeah, when I first came back, I had I had a flash memory. It's like oh, waking up from a dream, uh-huh. and you're like, "Whoa! I remember, I remember the dream as a flash, and a few things really stood out." But I immediately put it aside, thinking, "I got some stuff to do here right now." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just concentrate on the physical. Right exactly.
1: Now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, so was it later on when
0: you were in hospital that it, that the memory started to come to you? It was actually after I got out of the hospital. Okay. When I was in hospital, I was, I was very drugged up, still, and um, I was in hospital for about a month. I w- got out for about two weeks, and then had to go back in for some face surgery because I had those holes in my head, and they needed to put some patches on those. And so once I got out after that surgery, then I felt like okay, now I'm. Now there's no more setbacks. I'm, everything is full speed ahead now. I'm healing now. I'll, I can just let my body heal. And I, I don't have to kind of monitor things so closely. And I wasn't so drugged up. My drugs were being stepped down. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, was, it was a couple of weeks probably after that surgery or a month after that surgery when I actually sat down with my computer. And I thought, okay, now I'm going to return to that moment because i i always remembered that that moment of this is like waking up from a dream yeah so what was that dream so now i said okay now i'm going to i'm going to go back into that dream and i'm going to remember all of it wow. and i actually didn't know if i would be able to and was kind of surprised when it came back so crystal vividly clean. yeah vividly yeah it was
1: part of the arrangement that you'd made with the mob
0: Look, my mob are very re- yes. irreverent. Yes, mine too. <laughs>
1: and laugh and joke. And I think I was reading last night, they were laughing at you, at, yes. you know, at some of your experiences. They do that to me all the time. Like I had this image once of, of them. I don't really have personalities or faces or anything, just a bunch of people that were just rolling around holding (laughs) their bellies, like, at my expense. And I'm like, oh,
0: come on, guys, you know, like, come on, (laughs) give me a break. Yeah, well, uh, from that perspective, some things that we do can just be so hilarious. They really can be very, very funny. (laughs)
1: I'll, I'll share that experience with you. I went to see some guru that was out here from India, And I'd driven hours out in the sweltering heat. It was the summertime here, and um, I was in a little dress. It was quite a few years ago. And when I got there, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to sit in front of the all knowing, all seeing guru. He's going to do what your book did for you. You know, he's going to open it all up for me. He's going to tell me why I'm here, what my purpose is. It's all going to be revealed. I was so excited you know (laughs) anyway I sat in front of this man and he asked me really lame questions like do you meditate and I'm like you're the all-seeing all-knowing guru you know me. (laughs) why are you asking me (laughs) (laughs) you know me completely you can look into my blueprint and see my soul why are you asking that stupid question and I'm like yes and then he asked me a few more lame questions and then he tried to sell me some like worry beads And, and I just I'm like going on and then we go and do some (laughs) some dash some singing so I'm sitting in a group of people mostly Indian I'm one of the few white people in the room they've asked me to cover up because I was a bit too exposed for their liking (laughs) and then they asked me to start the singing and I'm like what part of me looks like I know how to sing an Indian So as I'm driving home, I'm going, what was that about? And that's, they were, la- they were laughing. Your, pup- your mob was they- rolling on the floor. Rolling now. around, rolling. They were yeah, rolling. Yeah, I can, see, I can <laughs> see
0: that. And I said, what was that about? And they said, you
1: keep looking for the guru car and the guru's within. Yeah.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah,
1: the guru's within. And that's very much what your book well, what your experience, I suppose. Well, maybe you knew that before your experience, that the guru was with Well, you. I
0: think we all need reminders sometimes. <laughs> you had some reminder, girl, I tell you. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> you know, that's another way of describing why I didn't want to say exactly why I was coming back here, or what I came back to do. Because I'm my guru and you're your guru and you know somebody else can tell you somebody else may be able to tell you what you're doing but in the end that should only present another question and that question should be are they right you know because when you hear a truth you're going to feel it in your own body yeah and so you may be thinking well they gave that to me but in truth <laughs> You're feeling it. You're the one resonating. Yeah. You're giving it to yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Absolutely. Listen to what feels right to you. Yeah. 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 Look, one of the things that has stuck with me about your book is, you know, cuz I call myself a teacher of deliberate creation, so I'm teaching people that we are creating all the time and we don't have to be unconscious about that. We can be deliberate in that. We can be more conscious about that by listening to what we think and how we feel just as you've described listen to how you feel when you when you hear this information does it sit with you does it resonate with you is it part of your perspective right now part of your life experience and you were with one of your guides when you were looking down at your body that had been um blown up and you and your guides were designing your injuries which i found amazing because that you know, you're like, we are creating from either from conscious or non-physical, but we are creating all of it. Do you want to explain more about what was going
0: on there? Yeah, it was, I was with two other beings. One of them was Really, a good buddy of mine, and the other one was almost like observing us or learning or something. I don't know. Apprentice. We didn't enter. Yeah, an apprentice maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we could see down below us. We could see the whole scene with the truck in the desert, and it was like it was in a freeze frame or something. And and we could see inside the truck, and we could see my body, and we could see my body as a physical body, but we could also see it as an organization of energy. And so we were playing around with injuries. So we would it was like the equivalent of wave your hand and all of a sudden I've got a big hole in my side or a big hole in my head. And as soon as we did that then we would see a kind of a holographic um, flash t- picture. This that's really hard to explain, but this instantaneous sort of picture of how what the rest of my life would look like with that injury, with brain damage, or with my my right hand being cut off, you know, and and from that perspective, it was hilarious oh. to see that to see that played out. There I know no, you guys were laughing. Oh, we were <laughs> laughing so hard, and it's still funny to me. And it's only but it's only funny from that, that perspective. perspective. Yeah, I mean because obviously. When you're in that experience and in the physical, it can be, it can feel endless. It can be horrible. It can be just torturous and ripping. But from that perspective, everything is seen as beautiful and useful and valuable and fun. And so, um, you know, <laughs> losing my right hand and having to learn how to write with my left hand is would be um would be very funny <laughs> from their perspective <laughs> not necess- but not necessarily from my perspective in the movie playing that role mm-hmm. so but you know what I love about this is that if
1: only we could don some of that perspective while we're going through our drama. I mean, I remember when I was young and I was going through some emotional drama, probably over a boy, you know, it was always Mm -hmm. over a boy, and feeling devastated, horrendously devastated and alone. And then there was a sense, there was a part of me that was really enjoying that. Yes. Like I was watching a good movie and there was that, part where you're connecting emotionally to the person and you're crying with them like oh my god this is so sad but you're really enjoying it was like it wouldn't have been as good of a movie had you not gone through that drama so that i had that awareness when i was very young and i guess i think i read books that that called it the witness Mm -hmm. you know there's a part of you that it's witnessing what you're going through all the time and in that moment and often when we hit those really tragic Parts in our life, we kind of separate. Maybe it was a way of protecting it, and we be, we become conscious of the witness, the one that's enjoying the show.
0: Yeah, yeah. I had some very vivid um, experiences of that when I was a kid, and and also after I got blown up. Right. Um, and yeah, I think that we can. I think it's possible to cultivate that. Yeah. You know, the more we practice it consciously. Yeah. then the more available that is when we get to the, the places in our lives that feel more challenging, harder, yeah. mm-hmm. um, more difficult, then we'll, ha- we'll have that practice to back us up. We'll have that tool in our toolbox to be able to, to tune into that witness and to say, oh, wow, okay, so I can be both suffering in some sense, you know, I can be in pain and I can be watching my pain and holding some compassion for myself and holding some space for myself and holding some peace for myself within that. I think it's possible.
1: Yeah. And I think that the more that, like I said to you at the beginning of this, some people have an agenda. That's my agenda. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good agenda. That's a good, uh, to teach people that you you know, like my guides often say, you're suffering over your suffering, you know, like, and then they say, oh, get over yourself. You know, they're really irreverent with me. They're like, get over yourself, get over yourself and sort of snap me out of it sometimes. It's so great to sort of be snapped out of it. Like, oh, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing think, it again.
0: Um, the way I put it in my book is that I think the Buddhists say this, that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Yeah. Um, you know, it, suffering comes from our our perspective, where we put our, where we place our beliefs and our perspective, where we're looking from. And so if we feel like we're a victim or suffering, then we have the choice to look a little deeper and to remember who we are and what we are and to say, you know what? I created this. And so I am going to love it. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm.
1: There's just the power in knowing that you are creating it and that's and that's why I love the bit in your book about being present to you and your guides having a belly laugh creating your injuries because Mm -hmm. we can have that perspective we don't have to have a near-death experience to to realize or to come to the awareness that even though it might seem horrendous but on some level I've created this and why did I create this? There is a reason, there's a purpose, there's a gift, there's a knowing, there's an experience, there's a lesson, whatever you want to call it. But there's a reason that I created this. And to focus on the reason and not the drama. Okay, the drama's happening, but yeah. there's, a, there's a higher perspective here that I can find.
0: Yeah. And another way that I put it, because, you know, that's a really horrific kind of um, thing to say to someone who's suffering. Well, you created this. Yes. (laughs) Oh, don't say that to people. (laughs) Please, (laughs) nobody say that to people. Because if you don't have that perspective, then now you've just um, you've hurt them badly by saying that. And so another way to look at this is, you know, people say, why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? Well, one thing I say is Quit asking, why am I suffering? And ask yourself, how do I best handle this? Yeah. Because that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's when we give ourselves a challenge, we give ourselves that challenge in order to see how we, in order to give ourselves the opportunity to handle it well, the best way we can. And that's not to handle it perfectly it's to handle it the best way we can knowing what we know right now yeah. yeah and that to carry that with some compassion for yourself so you know why 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 we're we're programmed to ask why we have to understand why well, we don't always have to understand why sometimes a more valuable question to ask yourself is how do i best handle this yeah yeah
1: yeah what can i find in myself that knows how to handle this
0: right Mm -hmm.
1: for sure I had an experience once a friend died suddenly and I got the news and a friend of mine said to me I was at a friend's place come on we'll go for a walk we don't you don't want to sit here and wallow and uh, she said put some shoes on I don't want you to fall over (laughs) and I was in a bit of shock and I'm like going right yeah yeah just thinking how could he be so young so gorgeous and be dead like it just I was in shock So we went for a walk and I fell over and um, (sighs) I landed on some glass and it took off the top of my knee like it just like shaved off the top of my knee and I didn't feel any pain so I got up but I felt the blood dripping down so I looked and when I looked I realized what I'd done and it was horrendous Mm -hmm. but I had absolutely no pain no pain whatsoever and I went Oh, I've taken my knee off. So I sat down and I put my hand over it and I asked my girlfriend to call an ambulance. Mm-hmm. And she was so shocked because I was so calm. Yes. I wasn't in pain at all. <laughs> all. Right. She said, don't be silly, get up. And, and I said, no, I've hurt myself. And she said, no, you haven't because I wasn't ex- because doing drama. Because you
0: were drama. hysterical.
1: I know. <laughs> and... And she said, show me. I said, you don't want to look at it because if you look at it, you'll freak out and I want you to stay calm and call me an ambulance. And she said, I don't believe you. So I showed her and she freaked out and she ran around like a headless chicken and went running off. (laughs) I'll get the car. And as she ran up the road, I realised I was parked behind her. There was no way she was going to get the car. So I asked this stranger, excuse me, could you please call me an ambulance? And an ambulance came. But I had this experience of having no pain. Like I had done some a really bad injury to myself but no pain, no pain. No pain at all. And everyone who looked at the wound had this shocked like, "Oh my god, how did you do that?" And I'm thinking, I wish they'd stop reacting like that because I'm really calm right now yeah. and I, if I start if I, they're kind of they can they can sort of like I, it could, from them. I could I <laughs> could Yeah, exactly. I could catch their and when, if I do, I'll be in pain, yeah. you know what I mean, like physically. Yeah. So I said to my mob, what was that all about, you know? Nice big scar on my knee to remind me of the beautiful experience. Mm-hmm. I was in hospital for a week and then I was in a cast for six weeks. And they said where there is no resistance, yes. there is no pain. Exactly.
0: That's so, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, we resist so much. And when we when we let go of resistance... And just say, "Well, this is where I am right now, and I wonder where I'll be next." Then a lot of our resistance comes with tr- wanting something that isn't there, or with trying to uh, trying to maintain something in a in an infinity that's always creating and changing. And if we if we get into the flow <laughs> like you did, and say, oh now this has happened, and this is what we what I do next. Yeah. If we don't have any resistance, then there's a real lightness of being in there. It's the it's what the the Buddhists talk about non-attachment. And it's not an indifference. You're in, you're in the moment entirely, but you're in that moment freely, without any strings of expectations or desires beyond beyond fully occupying that moment you know you show up you pay attention when we let go of that resistance that's beautiful no resistance no pain yeah
1: did you have that experience when you were blown up in that you know after you had the some memory of the blink moment
0: uh did I have experience of no pain
1: yeah, that sort of acceptance. That, yeah,
0: like. oh, absolutely of that acceptance, yes, yeah. and even excitement. Really? When I was sitting in the truck after I came to and the truck rolled to a stop and I did some, thing, some things in the truck to, um, and then I was waiting for the rest of the team to show up and I was looking out the window and I thought, I wonder if I'll be able to see out of this eye because I couldn't see out of my right eye and i remembered a dream that i had a few years before my this in this dream it was a lucid dream i i met my grandmother and she was making these beautiful pictures in my mind and I, and she, in the dream she was blind in real life she in life she hadn't been blind but and i said grandma how can you make these beautiful pictures when you're blind and as soon as i said it i thought oh duh and she leaned her toward me. She said, Natalie, you don't need eyes to see. Go tell your father that everything's all right. And so as I was sitting in this truck all blown up, I remembered that dream and I thought, maybe if I can't see out of this physical eye, I'll be able to see other worlds more clearly. (laughs) And I got so excited. I was so excited. It was it was a. It was that moment that had no resistance and no fear. Wow! I was completely in that moment, and excited for any new experience that came to me, it, it, the potentials. You know what? What will this be like? I wonder what will happen. Wow! It was very, very exciting. Wow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> such, a, such a great way to be in an explosion in Iraq. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I bet. Um, I did have pain later. I bet exactly. <clears throat> like we have those, those flashes of insight, mm-hmm. and then we forget, and then we get caught up with the pain and the. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then we forget.
0: we forget. Yeah, and you know, I don't think that it's always a, a bad thing. Yeah. You know, moving back and forth between that. um, You know, we came here to this physical world to experience this physical world as it is. And sometimes to completely lose yourself in it is there. there's a real beauty in that. There's a real holiness in that as well. It's not like um, we always have to be um, in a certain mindset to be spiritual or to be connected or to be holy you know we're always connected and we're always spiritual and we're always holy and if we want to if we want that to be conscious in this moment that's fine and if we quote lose that and completely immerse ourselves in this delicious physical adventure that's good too yeah yeah
1: my daughter when she was young was watching the matrix Mm
0: mm-hmm and
1: there was the scene where the guy was given the the choice between the two pills, the red pill and the blue pill. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember. I think the red pill meant that he would stay aware and conscious of his new perspective and the blue pill meant that he would forget everything that he'd learnt and he'd go back into the illusion. And she's watching the movie say, the blue pill, the blue pill, the blue pill. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, she's eight or something. or she's She's little. Yeah like really small she might have even been 6 and i remember looking at her thinking okay so that's your choice and i was really aware that what you were saying just before she wanted to be completely immersed in the physical experience not knowing any sort of who am i and what's possible yeah, but it just be
0: really fun you know the
1: blue pill you it's know <laughs> 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 and then she when she was about 15 she'd had a boyfriend for about a minute and they'd broken up and she was doing drama and yeah. she was like running through the rain crying and her girlfriends were chasing her and really doing drama and I said to her trying to give her some sort of you know some
0: perspective
1: yes yeah, and I said you know you were really happy before you had this boyfriend he's not responsible for your happiness and she looked at me she goes I know that Mum. let
0: me have my drama <laughs> Uh-huh. yeah there's some fun in having that drama i mean part of the fun of being here is experiencing all emotions yep yeah you know look at little kids they love to be scared yeah yep. they love to be you know when they cry they cry with their whole being you know exactly <laughs> they're, flop- they're flopped on the floor sobbing like it's the end of the world <laughs> and then the next moment they're up and running around and laughing and it's all good, yeah. you know. It's all good. It's, it's all, all good. delicious. It's yeah. all amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and and we create the fear,
1: you know. We we go yeah. to horror movies and um and people climb yeah. mount, put themselves in extreme conditions, like climbing Mount Everest and nearly dying yeah. and having their fingers chopped off, and because they're like the deliciousness of the ride, you know. Like, yes.
0: Yeah, you know, a war zone. Is is similar exactly. It's, yeah, you know, it's very it's very real. Yeah, you're yeah. you're very present. It's very um, concentrated and intense, and you know, there it's it's a horror, but it's also there's something delicious about it. Just like yeah. there's something delicious about everything in life.
1: Yeah, I I remember when I was a teenager, I was speaking to a friend of mine's cousin who was living in Lebanon at the time, uh, back and forth. And there was a lot of war happening there, dreadful war. And she said, I love it over there. Sydney is so boring. And I said, you love being in a war zone where you're seeing dead bodies and things blown up all the time. She said, yep. She said, when I leave my house, I never know if I'm going to come back alive. And she said, that's delicious to me. And it really gave me a perspective of like, some people want this experience like they consciously want that experience. She wasn't shooting anyone or in the war, but she was right. just liking living in that war zone.
0: You know, we talk about living in the moment. Well, go to a war zone. You'll be living in the moment. It yeah. makes it, it, you're, you're very alive every instant, you know, and there's something really delicious about that. And and for me, sometimes it's a challenge to, to bring that into just everyday life and to stay present in this everyday life because a lot of people a lot of things are kind of sloppy you know (laughs) whereas (laughs) when you're living in in the moment you're in the flow and there isn't anything sloppy um but it's yeah it's it can be a challenge to be in a war zone and then leave that war zone and go this is this is not very interesting (laughs) Yeah, back back to the mundaneness of life. Yeah. But
1: let me ask you, you know, the New Age spiritual community are very much, and, and I am too, about peace and stopping war on the planet. So this is a question that maybe your mob can answer this through you, that I've pondered in that, as we're evolving as a humanity and we're, we're becoming more conscious and conversations like the one you and I are having are becoming more prevalent on the net and more available, do you think that war will ever stop on this physical dimension or do you think it's an experience that will always be cherished no. by from a non-physical perspective?
0: No, I don't. I mean, I think that um, there are some things that are really beautiful about or uh, within it, but war as a choice is not our best choice it's not our best foot forward yeah and do i think that it will always be part of the human experience no i don't right yeah i think that um that exploration of violence is i think it's about run its course yeah i mean there's only so so far that you can take it and then you start repeating yourself and so infinity is infinitely creative. Yeah. And if if something if we sort of run something to its its end like violence if we kind of explore that to its very end, then what is what is the point of of just keeping on doing something over and over, that's the same thing. I don't think that that serves us in our human in our human bodies and experiences or as beings, as infinite beings. Um, I don't think that that's best foot forward, best choice, and I don't think that we'll keep choosing that.
1: Great answer. So in places like Iraq where people are so running on that instinct to survive and kill, do you, do you see that shifting? I've never been to a place like that. You have. Do you Do you see that? that new awareness, that new consciousness creeping into that, to their perspective?
0: Well, um, you know, you go to, we, we might, if you've never been to a war zone, then you might think that you, may, you might have this idea of what, what it's like there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. really, um, it's probably wrong. <laughs> yeah. Because it's. It's Hollywood's perspective. It's a lot like everyday life with these moments of chaos. You know, it's it's 95% or 98% or 99% of the people there just wanting to feed their families and plant their plants and run their business and have a nice life. Yeah. And there's 1% or 3% or 5% who are um, filled with fear and acting out on that right. and creating chaos for everyone else. But it's not chaos everywhere. A war zone. In most cases, it's not like the whole country is always violent. It's like these little pockets of violence mixed into daily life. Yeah. You know, everyone's still trying to make a living. Everybody's st- still doing business. Everyone's still trying to feed their families. People are still going to school.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, um, is there an a, is there a new awareness? Well, a lot of those people are just like us, you know, there's, so there's, there's some awareness there and there's some not awareness there. Mm -hmm. And there are, there are people who just want peace. A lot of people who just want peace. And there's a few people who are really frightened and, and that comes out as anger and as trying to control other people and as violence and not knowing how to get what they need. And so, I'm not. I, I'm not sure I'm answering your question very well. <laughs> no, I think I it's a great
1: like... answer because okay. I'm. You know, I'm. I've never been there, so you're giving me a, a picture of what it's like over there. So it's great for all of us that are in the West. That the only way we know about it is on is on our news, and the news presents the worst part of it. You know, we don't yeah. get to see what really yeah, goes you on. we don't get to
0: see the humanity. Yeah, exactly. I worked with um, some engineers, I had five e- Iraqi engineers on my staff, and we got to be pretty good friends. And I really feel, I mean, I still, they touch my heart, mm. I miss them. Mm. And um, I often worry about them, but um, they're praying to Allah, and I am doing whatever energy work, but it doesn't matter. We say to each other, I'll pray for you, because it's the same thing, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly we all want the same thing. We all want peace. We all want to respect each other. We all want to belong. We all want to feel valuable. And so, you know, the people who can't seem to find that or can't seem to get that are, in a sense, acting out. Well, you know, how do the rest of us draw those people in and say, calm their fears and say, you belong, you are valuable, you belong here, and we want you to participate in our peace. You know, how do we say that? Maybe we need to find a way to say that.
1: Oh, beautiful. What a beautiful message. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been a complete joy and pleasure chatting with you today, Natalie. I, I really find, as I said before, your book so comprehensive. In the book, you go in to explain quite a few things about who we are as non-physical beings and what happens on the other side of this physical experience. You talk about the blink environment, which was your environment where you were there amongst buddies, like millions of them downloading energy, and there were different, what's the word, there was a different intention in that environment. And then you talk about the healing environment, which you said that you could, from that perspective, very much affect the physical manifestation here on Earth, which I thought was fascinating. And then the deep rest environment, you talked about that environment where you, you felt like you could just go and rest and sort of shake off all the trauma of having a physical experience. And also the life review. I'd love to talk about all these things with you another
0: time. I'd love to come back. <laughs> it's been fun talking with you and it would be really fun to have another session
1: yeah to explore to explore more you're a fabulous teacher and i love your message
0: oh thank you and
1: um, i can't say it again passionately go out and if you're interested in this sort of thing and finding out who we are and just exactly how powerful we are as creators of our own reality natalie's fabulous book is called the application of impossible things
0: your website nataliesudman.com And I sometimes blog at traceofelements.com.
1: And also a beautiful artist. You can see Natalie's artwork there as well.
0: Thank you. Thanks again, Natalie. Thank you, Karen.
1: I look forward to talking to you again. The wonderful Natalie Sudman there. Oh, what a great conversation if you'd like to listen to more conversations like this enlightening you to the power of your thoughts and the power of your being go to karenswain.com and listen to some of my fascinating guests on radio or you can have a session with me and talk to my guides blissful beings or the mob as we <laughs> talked about it in the interview and ask them any question you like also if you're in sydney we have conscious creation nights if you want to be amongst friends and ask questions about exactly how you are the genius creator of your reality remember to go to our facebook page accentuate the positive radio with karen swain or blissful beings reminders from home also if you're listening on itunes remember to rate and review the show thanks again bye for now